The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Thank you, Steve Kamer. Thank you once again for that uh, rounding. Yes, I love it. I love it. The Chris Sheeran Show. It rolls off the tongue so nicely. I know you always say, like, I'm a part of the show, and you hate that it's called The Chris Sheeran Show, yes, but that rolls off the tongue so nicely. I just, I, I feel like it would be blasphemy to change it. Well... We'll see. We're working on the magic hour with, with Kevin Sullivan, who's, who's our cameraman for Periscope right now. Um, Director of content for yesnetwork.com slash cell phone Periscope cameraman. Yes. Um, he, uh, he wasn't too thrilled with the magic hour <laughs> name that we came up with last week. But we always try to hit that hour, and we're going to try to chew up most of that, or if not a quarter of it or a little bit more, with our good buddy Devin Carpertian of thebrooklyngame.com. He joins us now. Devin, thanks for jumping aboard, buddy. You got it. Always happy to talk to you guys. It's, it's, uh, it's sad it, it, that we have you on. Uh, not that you're on, but because of the reason why you're on. It's, uh, it's a Nets uh, quote-unquote post-mortem. They were bounced from the playoffs by the Hawks in six games. They did put up a fight. They did tie it up at two games apiece. They held serve at home. They couldn't win a pivotal game five, and then they came home in game six, and it was pretty ugly. And uh, the, the main question surrounding this team right now, Devin, it's, it's a pretty broad question I'm going to throw at you, but what now? What now is a very good question. I mean, if you believe what they say, what Billy King said at the postseason, his own postmortem press conference, um, the number one priorities that are retained, Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young. And really, there's, there's really, I mean, it makes total sense for them, too, because if they don't, if they lose those guys, they still don't really have a ton of cap room to pick up anyone new uh, who could actually provide the same kind of talent. And then, you know, at the same time, you know, they'll be able to add Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young for another year or two or three or whatever. Um, and that'll help them, you know, help win ba- basketball games because there's no incentive for them to lose. Well, so I think that's the next step. After that comes figuring out what you're going to do with Darren Williams, figuring out if you're going to trade Joe Johnson, if you can find a market for him, and then filling out with all the little pieces like they've been doing for every year for the last three years. Like every year, it's like we have to fill out seven or eight or nine spots on the roster. As as you mentioned, you know, whether whether Young and Lopez opt out, opt in, get re-signed, however they become Brooklyn Nets next year, as long as they're Brooklyn Nets, that's the most money they can make. The Nets can pay them the most, but as, as you alluded to, it's pretty much, unless they, they can trade Darren or Joe or somebody, it's pretty much go over the cap and stick with what you've got or don't stick with what you've got, still go over the cap and fill in with something that's going to be much less than those guys, right? Well, I, and, I, and I do have to tell you, what, the one thing about the season ending the way it did, the, the way it ended in Game 6, losing by whatever ungodly number of points, I don't know what it was now, but getting destroyed by the Atlanta Hawks, the one thing about that that's almost relieving is that the Nets can't pretend that this core can contend any further. They can't, you know, if they'd beaten the Atlanta Hawks, if they'd taken it to seven or even gone to the second round, you know, maybe they'd say, look, these guys can still work together as it is, maybe retool around the big three, build another competitive team. But in the loss, now you have to evaluate it from the sense of, okay, we have to start selling off these pieces, finding a way to trade Darren Williams, finding a new home for Joe Johnson maybe next year, or building guys around Brooke Lopez and Thaddeus Young, who are your two, two of your better players down that stretch in the last couple of months, and you know not as expensive as Darren and Joe, and then being able to move forward. So I think like there's no point in finding you know you have to be able to look at what has happened in the last two years and say okay now we have to start moving forward. 
Well, Joe's an expiring contract next year, so he comes off the books for anybody that the Nets would deal him to, so he's very attractive in that aspect. Uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask you about, Devin, is the article that you have on the BK game right now, and that's about stretching Darren Williams' contract or buying him out. Do you think, A, the Nets will buy him out, or will they stretch him? Uh, will they try to stretch that contract before July 1st, after July 1st? And just explain to, to the fans out there the... Uh, the positives and negatives for stretching before or after that date? Sure. Well, actually, the, the date was incorrect. It's August 31st. Oh, okay. It my, you know, it's my mistake. I had it written originally, and it was corrected. So basically what happens if, is if they decide to stretch him, what they'll do, what that'll do is they'll waste Williams off of their roster, and then he will be uh, his salary will be prorated over double the years plus one. So he has two years left now, and if they waive him before August 31st, he'll be stretched, and his contract will be spread over the next five years. They would do it after August 31st. They'll pay him the full amount of his salary next year and then stretch that last year over three years. Um, so basically, the, the, the pros to it is that the Nets are looking to get under the luxury tax now. That's not a secret. That's probably the least bad, the worst-kept secret in the league. And if they can you know, find a way to get under that, one of the easiest ways to do so is to stretch Darren before uh, you know, August 31st because that brings his cap hit down about $13 million, and that allows him to re-sign Brooke Lopez, get Thaddeus Young in a reasonable deal, maybe add Nears and a couple of minimum guys. Maybe they can find a taker for Jarrett Jack on the cheap. They can uh, open up some more money there as well. And then, you know, you stay under that tax level and you can go into the next year without the repeater tax, which is a big deal. Um, if they wait until the year after, they could do that if they want to have even more cap room. It's only a couple million more, but more cap room when the salary cap spikes, which would allow them to sign more guys, you know, maybe get one or two extra players that they might not have gotten. Uh, so those are the kind of pros to it. The cons are that then you've got a Travis Outlaw situation where he's going to be on your cap until 2019, 2020. And can you imagine, you know, oh, the Nets, you know, could have signed player X, but because they're still paying Darren Williams $8 million, you know, four years after he's gone, they can't offer the max deal, you know, or whatever the scenario might be. So this is the pros and cons. I think they're, thinking, they're obviously thinking about it. I think there's a real consideration in which I'm buying him out. Um, you know, if Darren, if Darren really wants out of New York and is willing to kind of take a few million dollars less of his contract to find a new place to play, which, you know, I can't get inside of his head, but I don't think that he would be averse to that. Well, what, we'll do that. What, what's your gut feeling on that, Devin? Does, does he, do you think he wants out? Yeah, I, I think that both sides think that there's a kind of, you know, both sides agree that there, there's, a, there's a partnership that should be split here. I don't think either side wants to be involved with the other anymore. Um, I think the Nets are going to try to explore the trade market first, second, and third. I think if they can get anything for them, they're going to do it. Um, they couldn't get anything for them in February or December or at any other point during the season. Um, you know, now I think if there's, there's a feeling that both sides are kind of ready to move on, and whether that means Darren goes back to Utah or he finds another, you know, goes to Dallas or finds a, a deal somewhere else. Um, so my, my gut is that they'll try to trade him and they can't find a market. They'll try to buy him out, and that's kind of where they'll figure if they can buy him out before that August 31st date, they might be able to do that, or, and if not, they might just stretch him that. Well, e- either way, he, his situation won't be as, uh, as, as dire as the Mets are with Bobby Bonilla, who they'll be paying <laughs> an, un- until we're 50 years old. You, you know I'm a Mets fan, and I go on Yankees Entertainment Sports <laughs> Podcast as a, as a courtesy to you, and you heard me in these ways, Lou. Yes, yes. I, I, knowing you're a Mets fan is why I brought that up. But uh, on to the actual Darren Williams point I was going to make. Is, is Dallas would seem like it's going to be a very big 
you know, that's that's going to be the very much ballyhooed possible destination, especially now that they've said we're pretty much moving on without Rajon Rondo. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, he's you know he's from Dallas originally. Um, they they could use another point guard. Um, I mean, you saw what happened with Rondo in Dallas. I mean, he that, that whole situation imploded. Granted, I mean, Darren can be a little bit volatile as well. I don't think he's at the same level as Rondo. I think Carlisle would be able to deal with him. Um, but then getting back to the Nets, then they have to figure out, okay, if we stretch Darren, what are we going to do with point guard? I mean, you know, they've got Jared Jack right now who, you know, has you know four or five games this season where he saves your team and then 20 where you wonder what the heck he's doing. So, you know, that's another consideration for them. You know, maybe they can package their picks and move up in the draft and get a guy like Grant, um, you know, or just, you know, find somebody, pluck him off the waiver wire like they did with Sean Livingston. Um, that, that's a consideration for them, too, is like, you know, they, they, were, they were decent with Darren on the floor this year, which is not good. They're not good with Darren on the floor. They're decent. But without him on the floor, they're one of the worst teams in basketball. So they really have to consider, I mean, personality-wise, yes, if they want to move on, they should do that. But they also have to consider, okay, what are we going to do if Darren, you know, leaves and then we have nobody there except for Jared Jack? What about this random thought that just popped into my head, given that Darren was involved in the beginning of it, too? Maybe a reunion with some Lynn Sanity? I mean, is that something that they may even look... I mean, you know, he hasn't played great with the Lakers and the Rockets the last couple of years, but if anyone could handle that spot in New York, we know it's him. Yeah, that's true. I, um, I mean, I know that, the, that there were kind of rumors over the last couple of years that either the Nets were interested in him or there were deals floated where Lynn would have ended up on the Nets. Um, you know, I don't know, because he, he's kind of... He's fallen off a lot those first couple of years, and it's hard to kind of see if he'd fit here. And given the market, he might cost too much for what the Nets would get. But that's an intriguing thought. I mean, I hadn't considered that. Uh, what about this, Devin? Do, do you see the Nets moving forward without Brooke Lopez in any scenario? Or, or is Brooke, even if he opts out, he's getting re-signed and, and he'll be a Net for the rest of his career? No, I think there are scenarios where he could he could opt out and leave the net. I mean, he's always said publicly that he wants to be here, and I do believe him, but I would also be willing to be wrong. Like, I mean, the guy grew up in in California. You know, he was you know he's been there he, he's been there until about twenty years old, and then he came to New Jersey and New York for six seven years, and his whole adult life has been outside of the you know the, the original climate that he grew up in. Even so, I could see him being you know at twenty seven years old now. Um, looking for a new challenge, looking for a new change, and then signing maybe a two- to three-year deal with the team at a max level and then seeing how he feels, and then if he's still healthy at the end of that deal, you know, if his foot hasn't broken down, then he kind of re-ups then when the salary cap is at $110 million or whatever it's going to be, gets a much larger deal in that financial security going forward. So I can see it being very possible. I mean, the Lakers are actually somebody I think that would work well for him because that's back in California. They're going to have the cap room. Um, that could be a really interesting destination for him. Uh, but, yeah, I think in the end, I think the most likely thing by far is that he stays here. But it would not surprise me if some team gave him a, a really, really good offer and the Nets thought, you know, maybe maybe we move on from what's going on here. That would almost seem like it could be a LeBron-like situation where, you know, he can opt out in Cleveland after next year again and the salary cap goes up and get a bigger deal. But the, th- exactly. the thing about that is this, you know, LeBron came home, went to Cleveland, the whole, the whole nine. If Lopez leaves, a lot is made of – you know, the way Billy King built this team and what he sacrificed to build it. And especially given the way the, the Brooke Lopez saga kind of unfolded at the trade deadline and around the All-Star break, is, is that a black mark against, you know, Billy King's record if Brooke leaves and they get nothing for him after everything they went through the last four months? I mean, I, I don't know if it's a black mark necessarily just because, 
I mean, this whole kind of era of the Nets is going to decline. And so I don't know if that's so much a black market. It is another note of like, oh, this is not a deal that went well for the Nets. I mean, like the giving up three first-rounders for Pierce and Garnett, which was a great gamble at the time, is one of those black marks. Giving $40 million to Gerald Wallace the years before, that's, that's one of those black marks. So I think like if they lose Brook Lopez for nothing, I think the, the prevailing wisdom, at least from my – I mean, obviously he'll get some criticism, but I think generally the idea will be, all right, we're going to be saving this money going forward. We're not going to have a ton of money on our cap in 2016, and then we're going to re-up reevaluate where we are then and you know whether or not Darren is on the cap whether or not they re-sign anybody else that's going to be on the cap at that point they won't have that huge number for Brooke and that could affect how they you know how that how they approach free agency at that point in time I don't know if it'll be a black mark I think generally they want to re-sign him I think that's clear but if it doesn't happen there are other options going forward I want to go back in time for a little bit back to the end of that series Devin uh because this team this year was was so frustrating to a point where, you know, even non-Nets fans who were watching the games wanted to pluck their own eyes out. <laughs> um, but you sit there and you watch this team and, and you see the games three and four at Barclays Center and you see how they scratch and claw and fought. You know, Darren Williams has the unbelievable game. Uh, in game, what was that, three? Four. Or, oh, four, four. I'm sorry. Yeah. In game four, uh, he single-handedly wins that one, hands down. Him and Brooke Lopez have you know over 50% of the Nets' scoring output. The starters scored 103 points uh, of the 100 and... Uh, what, what was it? 115? 115, yeah. yeah it, was, it was amazing. You know, in a season where the bench carried this team more times than not, the starters really... Uh, did it in game four, but then, you know, you kind of, you kind of knew it was going to be chalked down in Atlanta. You, you knew the Hawks would come out to play on their home floor. They played so well there during the season. I think they were 36 and five uh, uh, at Phillips arena, but back at Barkley center, I mean, did that game six loss to you not encompass what you saw the entire season with this team? I mean, I mean, absolutely. The thing about them that's so frustrating is that, and I think you've alluded to it, like there are pockets and moments and like four-minute stretches where there's just like the ball is moving, they find open shooters, they get Brook Lopez right. the ball in the lane, right. they find Bogdanovich or Anderson in the corner for a couple corner threes. You know, Darren's never really attacking, but he's hitting a couple of shots. And then there are just these long swaths of time where just nothing happens. And they go high pick and roll, one option, and like take a bad shot. And so I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's just the mentality of the team. I don't know if that's the way they play. But that, that's the part that's so frustrating is that if you see these moments, you see these times when this team could be really, you know, could play at a high level. But more often than not, that was just a mirage. And then you see, you know, like that 23-3 to run that the Hawks opened up on where Darren Williams gave up a couple of easy turnovers and the Hawks just, you know, ran train on them. It's just they never stood a chance. So, I, you know, and I, and I think, like, and that, that to me, again, is like, that's one of those things where it's like, look, this is not the team that they wanted to put together in Brooklyn. Like, this is the team that they did put together, but it's not the team they envisioned or expected. And now you see that there are 38 and 44 team that loses in the first round. That is probably your ceiling with this roster. And that's why you kind of have to look back at everything and say, okay, now we have to start moving forward. Yeah, I, you know, I just want to go into that locker room with some sodium pentothal and <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger and True Lies. Harry, are we going to die? Yep. I mean, that's, 
that, that's what I, I just want. I want the truth. I want answers. Like what you just brought you up. Want that, Paul Pierce? Is that what you want? <laughs> you, you can't handle the truth. I think, I think we got that right before the playoffs started. But um, it's, it's what you said. It's that juxtaposition between these teams. And, and I think that's why they were so frustrating. You know, they're, they're making the passes. They're skipping the ball around the perimeter. They're finding the open shooter. And then all of a sudden they run the high pick and roll one option, take a bad shot, and they're done with those possessions. And they do that over and over and over again. Or they don't even get the, a chance to set up because a turnover happens. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, wait a minute. This is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde w- without any potion. There's no formula being, unless there's something in the Gatorade. I, I don't know. I, mean, I feel it, like it, we're watching YouTube clips of Joe Johnson from like 2009 and Darren Wayne in 2010 for those moments. And then we come back to reality. And it's, oh, right, this is the guy that the Nets actually have. They don't have the 35-point Darren Williams. They have the, the, the nine-point on three of ten shooting four assists and two turnovers there and win. That's the guy that yeah. yeah, and, you know, the other thing is... That's not a max contract player anymore. No, it's not. not at all. And, you know, you look at that 35-point game he had, and, and, the, and the, the game before that, Joe Johnson and Lionel Hollins are coming out defending the guy, saying he has 10 tonitis, and then he goes out and scores 35 points. He's 7 of 11 from downtown, and everybody's like, oh, my God, Darren's back. This is a series. And then... Again, it's like... What happened? Yeah, what happened? I mean, there, I think there will be research papers for years dedicated to how Darren got thirty-five points. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, and and it's it, the, the thing about Darren is like, it, 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 generally, I we remember when the Bulls beat the the Nets a couple years ago, and people yes. were saying like the Nets have no heart, they have no grit, they don't care. And I like, I, I there's also just like, and I, I thought that was a bit of overstating the point. That was like, look, the Nets didn't just. They don't execute. They're either set well. They're not. They were not prepared against a team that was prepared against Coach Tom Thibodeau. But this team fits all of those kind of sports cliche mantras that you know that you never actually want a team to fill. You know, they they, they don't have a decent option in crunch time. They just don't. There's a lot of times where you can just sense the fact that they're not trying to run through their sets. They're not trying to finish plays. They're just trying to get shots. And that's kind of why I think this season ended up being a failure with because they never, there was never that, you know, other than a few moments at a time, there was never really a point where you're like, this is a team that is trying to win basketball games consistently for the team. That, that was just never a sense you got this entire season. Is it a situation, and let me, let me bring this around by saying, you know, the big three mantra is, is what seems to be the, the way in the NBA. And when you look at the, the Celtics, the original big three, you know, Garnett, Pierce, and, and Allen all had their, their specific roles. Allen was the perimeter shooter. Pierce was the agitator. Garnett was the big man inside. You go on to the Heat that went to the finals four straight years, and it was the same thing. Bosch was the Garnett. LeBron was the all-world player. And Dwayne Wade was the Ray Allen sneaking around when you least expected it. Is, is what you just said maybe a function of the fact that there's so many Chiefs in this big three scenario in Brooklyn that – Nobody wants to be that old world player. They're all content to be those peripheral guys. Yeah, I think that's that's probably something to it. I mean, part of it is also just because Darren Williams' body has broken down. I mean, he's not like you in that scenario. You would expect Williams to just kind of be like the all world agitator, Joe to be the shooter, and also kind of create a lot of offense, and Brooke to be the big man inside. But like Brooke is not the passer KG was, or the defender KG was, or you know Bosch for that matter. Um, you know, Joe could really, at the end of his tenure, was just looking for a one-on-one opportunity against smaller guys and open three-pointers, and Darren's body has just failed himself. So I think you have guys who just, like, don't have the talent to build a big three strong enough to lead them to the playoffs. And part of that is injuries. Part of that is, 
you know, continuity, and part of that is just pure talent. Um, so I think that the formula that they tried to hit on, you're, you're correct in that assumption, like they wanted to get that kind of big three, but they just didn't have the right guys to do it. It's like, you know, it's like an, it's like an old Italian woman going down to the supermarket. Like, she's going to pick the best tomato. <laughs> yes, not yes, yes she is. You're damn right she is. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to spend two hours finding the perfect one tomato, and it's going to make your pasta incredible. The Nets just kind of grabbed something from, from the produce aisle and went up there, yep. and then everyone wondered why it tasted wilted. That's kind of what happened to that. Well, then, too, you know, you look at those other teams, and, and Miami especially, the other two starters on, on those teams were pretty much Mario Chalmers and Udonis Haslam, mm-hmm. whose collective... Like, like not yeah, a great guy. Their collective sum total of NBA legacy is that they were on the heat for four years at this point, you know, whereas the Nets, with Pierce and Garnett last year coming in to, to add on to the big three, I know Lopez was hurt, then this year with adding on, they've always seemed to have the big three plus then, so I don't know if maybe that also plays into it that, you know, Reggie Evans made a name for himself that first year in Brooklyn by being the guy who did all of Brooke Lopez's dirty work. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned him, because I was just going to say, like, like for all of the ballyhooed big three, for all the money spent on producing, you know, promoting Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez to the borough, for all the commercials, the guys that we, like, as a, as a collective, like, fan base and media base, the guys we cared about most were Reggie Evans and Sean Livingston, like two <laughs> minimum guys yep. who just fit in around the court. Like, like at the end of the day, like everyone cares about Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett and, and all those guys. But like the guys who like you watch day in and day out and you're like, that's the guy I want to watch every day. Like those are the guys they cared about. Just these, like, minimum, like Andre Blatch. Like mm-hmm. those are the people. Like, have all, like It's funny how like this team has been built to be this incredible, like, you know, you know strong, tough, you know, big, big, big market, big money, and then everyone that we end up caring about is just like the little. Josh Childress is the fourteenth man. <laughs> yeah, jo- I said Josh Childress is the fourteenth man. That's how deep the team was almost yeah. two, you know two years ago. Devin, uh, we appreciate you coming on, buddy. Um, I wish we were still talking about the Nets in the playoffs. Uh, it's Devin Carperine of the BrooklynGame.com. If you are a Nets fan, you need to get to that website and you need to follow him, uh, not just throughout the season, but throughout the year. You'll get great information on the Nets from a very great perspective. Uh, there's not enough adjectives in, in uh, Webster's Dictionary to say how good Devin is and how good the site is. So we appreciate you coming on, buddy, and we uh, look forward to talking to you down the line. You're very kind, Chris, and trust me, I'll be listening to the podcast in the offseason, too. Even though I'm a Mets fan, <laughs> even though I'm sure you'll be talking about how great the AL East is, uh, I'll be listening. Hey, Devin, Bobby Bonilla just cashed his check into his, uh, <laughs> up now. Into his <laughs> offshore account. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> uh, thanks a bunch, as always, Devin. We appreciate it. All right, guys. Be well. All right. Take later. care. Oh, what a great job. I love Devin. What I, a great job. He said to me, it's funny, he... Um, you know, I, the only appearance I got to make at Barclays Center this year was the last game of the season against the Magic, and I walked in, and it was like he's like, like seeing a ghost. He's like, "Oh my God, I only get to hear your voice now. It's so good to see you." you know, I love Devin. We all love Devin. Yes, and we he's, do. You know, like you said, it's a great uh, the Brooklyn Game dot com. It's tremendous. It, when, anything and everything you when need. I, I, I'm not just saying it because he's my friend and 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 he's good at what he does. Yeah. I mean, when I would do a Nets pre and post game, that's how I would prepare. Mm-hmm. I would go to the brooklyngame.com. They are a partner with the Yes Network. And Devin, you you hear all the time about players who have the basketball IQ. We've talked about it on here and you know how guys who are really intellectual about the games that they play. Devin could be a scout, could be an analytical guy, could be a, an assistant GM. 
he could basically do whatever he wants. He has that basketball IQ that the the, the acumen. And I'm going to use air quotes. The smarter fans, and I don't mean smarter like intellectually. And I mean smarter actually, like those who are hip to the game and the business of the game. And, and people could follow. see the air quotes, air quotes right now. Yeah, on the, on the yes. periscope. I, um, I I I try to have that baseball IQ because that's my wheelhouse. Like yeah. I, I aspire to that. He definitely has it on the the round ball. Side. I I'll be honest with you. With baseball, I've I've played it my whole life. I've been around it my whole life. I still learn things. Mm-hmm. Oh, every day, still daily. To this day, I learn things. You know, you listen. It's a, it's 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 a. <laughs> you could sit there and and talk and act like you know everything, but if you just sit back and listen every once in a while. You learn something, and I'm not ashamed to admit I learn a lot of things. I've learned stuff from reading your columns on YesNetwork.com, sitting back and listening to uh, Michael Kay during a broadcast or one of our analysts. Uh, You just sit back and you listen. Like Kenny Singleton was on the BP show with me, and just to, you know, you're interviewing the guy, but at the same time, you're taking in all the knowledge that he's given you. Like I, I, I had a little pre-meeting before we had our interview on, on camera. And we were just talking baseball. And there is nothing like that. And you don't have to show Kenny or Paul or anyone you're about to. You don't have to show them how much you know. Don't do that. No. If you're trying to come up in this business or if you're in college and you want to do this, if you have the opportunity to talk to one of these guys, just talk to him. Don't make it about always make it about business. No. That's that's the idea. Just talk to him. And if you talk to him and listen, you'll learn a lot. And that and by Donnie Marshall being in here, by Jim Spinarco being in here when I did the Nets pre and post game, I've learned more about the game of basketball the past two years than I learned pretty much my whole life leading up to the past two yep. years because of those two. And, and another piece of advice for those of you out there who want to be us someday too is is to build rapports with Rapport. Is that a word? I'm a journalist. A rapport. A rapport. Multiple, more than one rapport. Is that also rapport? That's fine, yeah. Build the rapport with guys like that when you get the chance to work with them, but also with guys you get the chance to work with at some point in the future. We always talk about our minor league coverage and how much we go down to Trenton, Scranton, and, you know, when the River Dogs are, are close by and Tampa during spring training. And it's the same thing, you know. It's why when I walk into the Yankees clubhouse in spring training, Instead of him walking by many people or just saying hello, I get a personal greeting from Rob Refsnyder because we build that rapport with him. It's why you get a personal greeting with some guys. And like you said, don't always make it about business. Matt Stucco, our video um, producer here for YesNetwork.com, and I had a 20-minute conversation with David Carpenter this spring about the K-Cancer, you know, his, his representation with, with the K-Cancer movement. Now when we walk into the clubhouse, it's always like a, what's up in a fist bump. You build those rapports. Mm-hmm. You learn from these guys. When Ken Singleton's standing there telling you a story about how he was the last guy cut in 1970 uh, by the Mets, and you know Tom Seaver told him, hey, kid, keep your head up, go down, hit, and you'll be back. Two months later, he gets called up and never went to the minor leagues. You can recall that. Learn these things. Mm-hmm. Learn these guys. Talk to them about more than just what you have to do and get out. <laughs> and you get a lot more out of it in the long run. Absolutely. And you know what I got a lot more out of in the long run? Well, I didn't get a lot more out of it. That that wrap and garlic parmesan fries you tried to offer me well, for lunch about no. an hour ago. Hey, I was, offer, a lot I was offering you lunch. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I had just eaten a salad. I only wanted half. You had to order the big salad. It, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Deflate Gate. I, I think. Yep. You know, here's my two cents. Everybody else has had their dollars worth. Here's my two cents worth, and then you could fire back. Couple of things. 
First and foremost are the text messages between McNally and Yastrzemski damning. Yeah. Are you talking about Dave McNally and Carl Yastrzemski? Jim. Because that would be much more interesting. And James. Yes, yes, they were damning. Uh, Were the balls deflated? It... um, Four-month investigation, we got probably. PSI New England. Probably. Which Who song would they use as the theme song? Probably. If I spend money. Wait, was it more probably or more likely than not? Because that phrase was used a lot, too. More probably than not. I think that was the phrase. That's my last interview. More probable than not that Brady knew. Okay, so you spent money, NFL, on a four-month investigation – to get a hundred and what thirty-eight page report, two hundred and forty-three. Oh, I'm sorry, a two hundred and forty-three page report, where its findings were more probable than not that he knew. Okay, Aaron Hernandez, he probably killed Odin Lloyd. So why didn't we save the time? It's more likely than not. Why didn't we save the time and just throw him in jail? No trial. More probable than not. That's the best you can give me. Look, if the NFL had any inflation (laughs) on their own, suspend Brady for the Super Bowl. But wait a minute. Can't do that. Not before the biggest game of the season. We can't have a knee-jerk reaction to that. No. Not for the biggest game of the season. Can't suspend him then. So let me ask you a question. He plays the Super Bowl. The Patriots win. Is he given his ring back? Reggie Bush doesn't have a Heisman. Is he giving his MVP trophy back? Reggie Bush doesn't have a Heisman. Is he going to do it? No, of course not. He was 37 for 50 for 328 yards and four touchdowns in the win over the Seahawks. And I guarantee you the PSI on those balls was perfect. 37 for 50. That's 74%. Completion percentage. This, to me, the fact you and I sat here last week and we were talking about the unrest, the civil unrest in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And now this week we're talking about deflated footballs. Which Do you see how stupid this is? Which, by the way, let me throw in that Jack Curry uh, had a three- or four-minute essay on during our pregame last night about the Baltimore unrest, which we have Uh. on... YesNetwork.com. I encourage you all to go watch it. Look, I, I'm what I'm about to say may be somewhat controversial in, in comparing the two subjects, but you saw what happened with Alex Rodriguez and everyone that was involved in the biogenesis scandal and what happened to them. If Tom Brady gets a slap on the wrist in this case, it looks horrendously hypocritical by the NFL. This guy, Ted Wells, basically wrote War and Peace on footballs being underinflated by a PSI. That's what I, Okay. That's what And there's enough, as George Carlin would say, spooky language <sighs> in there to make it like, well, yeah, maybe, maybe kind of, sort of, but not really, definitely, yes. There's, Tom Brady is the one. They, they exonerate Belichick, of all things, you know, by saying he probably, more probably than not, didn't know. Here's here's realistically what the NFL needs to step in and do. Not Dave McNally and not Carl Yastrzemski. You're fired. You do not work for the NFL ever again. 
Tom Brady, you're going to watch the first half a dozen games of the season from the press box. Yeah, but what does that do? That doesn't do anything. The damage was done. They won the AFC Championship game 45-7. to They won the Super Bowl. That trophy's not coming out of Foxborough. And the damage is done. Those rings are not coming off the players. He's not giving back his MVP trophy. The NFL dropped the ball. If they wanted to do something, they had to suspend him for that game. And they didn't do it. They should have suspended Brady. They should have suspended Belichick. Marmalade. Niedermeyer, all of them. I I feel you. I get you. What, what it's too late. What a postmortem punishment would do. We're using that word a lot today. What a postmortem punishment would do is say, look, we went through the due process. This is what we found out. You cheated. Now you have to pay for it. Does the punishment fit the crime? No. Nor does the punishment fit the time frame of the crime, unfortunately. But that's life. Unfortunately, that's life. The New England Patriots won the Super Bowl. Tom Brady was the MVP of the Super Bowl. And no amount of stamping your feet and crying for anybody, unfortunately, is going to change that. Because the NFL is an organization that just decided to give up its tax-exempt status so they no longer have to disclose how much their top employees make. Do you think they really care about the integrity of this on the whole? Let's be fair. We're talking about the integrity of footballs. Do you you see how stupid this is? Do you have any idea? Look, I know it's a rule. I know. I know. But why are there so many panties in a bunch over footballs being deflated? The other problem with it is this, and it uh, it goes back to what I spoke about earlier about you-know-who. Tom Brady flat out apparently lied to the public's face about the situation when it all went down. Not only that, when I, well, I believe it was Baltimore that they played before the Colts was all up in a tizzy about the Patriots' offensive formations, Tom Brady's exact three words were, know the rule book. So if you're going to play the holier-than-thou card and say, know the rule book, I get it. Guess what, Tom? The rule book says your I balls were under-inflated. I get it. I get it. And thus you have to look back and say, well, you know what? Now you have to pay for it. That I get. But you know what? A punishment now? Well, all right. So Ray Rice originally. They're on triple If you want to go at it that way, Ray Rice originally, before Goodell had the good sense to go back and give him six games or ten or whatever it was after that, for domestic violence. And they, they found text messages, but they they didn't know about that tip videotape with Ray Rice. Okay? There's another thing. Uh, let's, let's put our fingers on it, that one. It, it hasn't been the best calendar year for them. He yeah. gave Ray Rice two games. Two games for what he did. You're going to tell me deflating a football? You want Brady to get six games? Really? This, this is going to sound awful, and I don't mean it to sound as awful as it will. But you have to understand that I'm doing so within the logistics of the game they're playing. Ray Rice punching his fiance in an elevator is a deplorable act that no man should ever, ever even think about doing. Unfortunately, Ray Rice knocking out his fiance in an elevator doesn't affect what happened on the football field. Tom Brady under and these two locker room attendants underinflating footballs has an effect on what makes the NFL money, what happens on the football field. Now, again, I'm sorry if that sounds terrible, and I don't mean it that way, because 
in no way does the Ray Rice situation fall below Tom Brady in the spectrum of bad things in any way, shape, or form other than that directly affects the outcome of what makes the NFL money. So as hypocritical or as weird as it may seem, yes, that may deserve more of a penalty let me, on the football let field. Me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you this, okay? Let's go back his entire career So and towards the end of the season. I don't have the analytics on this. He's had to throw multiple interceptions from mid-November through January. Oh, yeah. In his career. So you're going to tell me that a D-back or a linebacker or whoever picked him off in any of those nondescript games knew that there was something fishy with the balls back then but didn't say anything because maybe his quarterback was doing the same thing. We heard Aaron Rodgers likes his footballs to be even more inflated. He likes them to be harder. Yep. What I can't wrap my head around, and trust me, I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here hard-headed. I get your point. I know. I do. (laughs) We're talking about deflated Footballs. This is the power of doesn't, the National Football League. Doesn't Chris. anybody? Doesn't anybody like sit here and get behind a mic besides me and just start laughing <laughs> because we're talking about deflated yeah. sports equipment? <laughs> when we're talking, I mean, geez, I, I just I can't wrap my head around it. I know it's a rule. You got the baseball players pumping up. You got Tom Brady deflating. I, I don't know what the hell to do. Hans anymore. and Franz have no idea what sport to watch. No. Um. Again, this just shows the power of the National Football League in that we're sitting here again <laughs> talking about I guess. deflated football. I guess. I guess. But I had, a, I, I had to put my two cents in there. All right. Well, we had hoped to have another, uh, another NFL guest on today. Unfortunately, we were unable to reach him, so we, <laughs> we, won't, uh, we won't be doing that. So we won't tell you who it is, so we won't tell you how badly we failed or not. <laughs> um, so we can move on to, to baseball. To fill the last uh, 20 minutes of our Magic Hour, we're going to talk some NFL draft. Um, actually, we, let's let's do that now. Let's talk a little NFL draft. Mm-hmm. You have to be, you know, we talked about Eric Flowers last week on the podcast. Right. Big mauler for the Giants. As a Giants fan, you kind of have to be happy with the, what they did on days two and three. They traded up and got one of the better safeties in the draft in Landon Collins from Alabama. Alabama. Yep. Uh, added another, you know. Good wide receiver late in the draft in UConn's mm-hmm. Jeremy Davis. Another offensive tackle that can only help out. They addressed their three areas of need. Offensive tackle, the secondary, and the pass rush. And I saw they, they went up to Canada. They got, some, they got some more players that they scouted up in Canada yep. that went to university up there, and they brought in a couple more yep. offensive linemen. They signed a, signed a few uh, non-drafted free agents afterwards as well. So they did well, it seems. They did. I mean, you know, they, they got two needs. impact players they in the first 33 needs. picks. They addressed needs, and the Jets went out and got the best player in the draft that fell to six. Yep. But what we said about McCagnan, too, last week is that he didn't go out there and say, hey, I'm going to show you how smart I am by drafting this guy. He went and just took the best player yeah. in the draft. And the same thing. And you know, the rest of their draft, they got an outside linebacker. They, got, they, they traded up to take Bryce Petty from Baylor, the quarterback, which was interesting uh, to trade up to get a quarterback. But then same thing. They went out and got another wide receiver, a D tackle. They, they added to spots where they found good players. Both teams had a pretty successful draft, I would they say. They did. And, you know, uh, 
the OTAs minicamp started. Yep. Seeing some pictures on Twitter. I think it was Dan Graziano said, uh, I know it's early, but, and then he snapped a couple pictures yep. and I tweeted him back. I said, it's never too early for and football. And that's what we just said. This is the power of the National Football League. There is, there is no offseason almost anymore. I have to give the NFL credit, though. You know, I, I killed them. I have to give them credit. L.L. Collins, the offensive lineman, offensive lineman yep. that just signed with the Cowboys. That was something that I think it was the player, too, and the league did it right. Mm-hmm. They, wait till he, they waited till he was cleared before anybody signed him. Yeah. I mean, my God, if, if that didn't happen. <laughs> and this is nothing against the kid. I mean, everybody's innocent until proven guilty. And, you know. He went, they cleared him, now he's a cowboy, whatever, it's fine. But I have to give the league some credit for that too, um, you know, but golly, deflated football. I, you yeah, know, just, yeah, you know, with him, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, with the state of the NFL in terms of the way it's perceived in terms of things like that, you, mm-hmm. you know, you, he could turn out to be a very good player. And as you said, he was cleared of everything and, and, and all is kosher, so it seems, but if you roll the dice on them and things go sour, it's a waste of a draft pick, honestly. And you get a little bit of a bad PR rap. Well, they for, got him as an un, undrafted free agent, didn't they? Right, but I'm saying if somebody had decided to... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Even a late flyer on him in the right. draft, it's it's a waste of a draft pick if well, things I, go south and you get a bad PR rap I, for I it. I think I saw that... Um, I could be wrong, but I, I think that he, he, he wanted to wait, too. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he wanted to get drafted until this no. was his agent had something to do with that. Because they they look, they lost money, but at the same time, now they don't have this specter over their heads, and yeah. now they could push forward. And you know what? If he goes and he, he plays his rear end off, yep, they could renegotiate. And you talk about like that kind of thing. You know, look at Shane Ray, who gets arrested two days before the draft and falls from a top ten prospect. Where do you go? Twenty third. I mean, lost a lot of money. You know, Warren Sapp was the same way years ago when he had his his issues off the field. He turned out to be a Hall of Fame player, but yeah. you know, he dropped to twelve. It hurts you in the pocket. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it doesn't hurt you in the pocket What's when that? the footballs feel just right for you. When you oh boy! It. All right, let's go. Let's move on to baseball because we'll, otherwise we'll 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 choke each other out uh, about, <laughs> about deflate gate. Our, our lungs will be deflated. <laughs> As Tell we have you a what, Homer Bart moment. All the hot air that's being thrown out there talking about Deflategate could could inflate the PSI to to all these balls in the NFL yeah. perfectly, and could inflate the ego of the New York Yankees, who are fifteen and five over their last twenty games. How about that? The best stretch for the team since when? We, the oh. yeah. <laughs> the two thousand twelve team finished September twenty one games, I believe it was sixteen and five. Holding the Orioles off every Holding night. Holding the Orioles off every night. The Orioles, who they played last night, oddly enough. Without Mark Teixeira, by the way, yep. who was out with that grade one calf strain that whole to, uh To to win the American League East and make their what is, as of now, still their last playoff appearance. And they met the Orioles in the And CeCe Sabathia threw a complete game in Game 5 to propel them onto a series that will unfortunately forever be remembered as the end of Derek Cheater's 2012 season. The sweep, season. yeah, by the Tigers and the broken ankle but, and... Yeah. Yuck. Anyway, since you brought up CC, why don't we start there? Um, look, I, I, I will. I say this to anyone who who will listen. I've said it on the podcast. I, I'm like a broken LP. Okay, for you kids out there that don't know what an LP is, uh, Google it. Um, I love CC Sabathia. 
I love the competitor he is. Uh, I love that he will go out there and gut out a number of pitches because in his heart, no matter how many runs he gives up early on in the game, he knows he has to take one for the team and not rely on the bullpen because the bullpen gets, let's face it, the bullpen's getting relied on a lot. And there's a lot of talk on Twitter about Girardi not going to guys when he should go to them. It's May. It's early May. Girardi saw what happened to David Robertson last year. You brought it up last week, I think, about mm-hmm. how he was done in August. Done. He, he just he was a shell of what he was at the beginning of the season. You have to be careful with these guys in the bullpen, especially with this Yankees rotation, the way it is right now. Look at the back. I mean, it's Michael Pineda. You're getting great spot starts out of Chase Whitley. Uh, Adam Warren is Adam Warren has pitched well. Well, good. He's pitched okay, adequate. But five innings. He's averaging five yeah. innings a start. What does that What does that tell you? The bullpen's getting used a lot. Avaldi. Uh, he's he's pitching all right. You know, it could be better. Nathan Avaldi and CC Sabathia are why I don't take record into account when I look at a pitcher's resume right. and say, well, this because Corey Kluber's zero and five too. Right. I mean, and he's his ERA is half of what Sabathia's is. I don't want to Cy Young for crying out loud. I did this research, and, and I had the conversation. Our good friend, friend of the program, Jack O'Connell, and I have a lot of side conversations mm-hmm. in the press box when I'm at the stadium. And we were talking about CC and just how kind of crappy it is. That, you know, he's just in the situation he is, and he's such a great guy and had been a great warrior. That's what I was trying to come across. Right. As, yeah. So Michael Pineda, and, and I have to modify of all these stats because I did this yesterday afternoon before he started. Michael Pineda, who's now the number one, Pitcher while Tanaka mm-hmm. is out, he's four and zero with a two ninety seven ERA. He's pitched thirty nine and a third innings, which is approximately six and two thirds inning a start over six starts. Okay, three three walks, thirty eight strikeouts, one point zero four two WHIP. The team is five and one when he starts, and they've given him four point eight three runs per game support. Um, sorry, honey. <laughs> Um, so there's that. Uh, well, I guess we'll go to Adam Warren, who's now the number four, three, two. Where, who knows where he fits. <laughs> he's been in the rotation. He's the other one that's been in the rotation the whole, the whole season. Two and one, 478 ERA, 26 and a third innings with over five starts, five and a third innings per start, roughly 10 walks, 14 strikeouts, 1.329 whip. The team is 4-1 and one when he starts because they've scored 4, 5, 13, 4, and 8 runs in those games. 6.8 runs per game Adam Warren starts. Wow. That's not his run support. That's just what the final score was. That's how many runs they had scored. Tanaka and Whitley, the, you know, their spot has been basically the same. Tanaka's 2-1, and 3.22, 5 and 2 thirds per start and 4 starts. Whitley, 6 per, 1-0, ERA. Combined, 8 walks, 35 strikeouts. Tanaka's whip, 0.94. Whitley's, 1.083. They scored 1, 14, 9, and 2 runs in Tanaka's starts. 4-1 and one in Whitley's starts. The team is 4-2 and two when those two guys start. 6.5 runs per game for Tanaka, 2.5 for Whitley. Mm-hmm. You know, he won and then he, he lost, you know, that great game that he pitched in Toronto. Right. So far, so good. Ovaldi, prior to yesterday, had gotten 5-5-5, five, 6-4, five, five, and four, and got 4 last night uh, <laughs> in the Yankees' win. They had all four of them. He got the win, so they had all four of them by the time he left. The Yankees and CC Sabathia starts 
have scored three, three, one, two, three, and one run. They're one in five when he starts. The only win was in Boston, which was the game they won on A-Rod 660. He got the no decision, so that's his only no decision. He's 0-5 otherwise. He's given up 4-4-2-7-2 and four earned runs. Not awful for a number four, number five starter. But the combination of not getting any run support on the back end, plus the fact that he's not the CC Sabathia of old, and right now you look at him and you say he's 0-5 with a 545 ERA. Uh-oh. Yeah. But realistically, CC Sabathia has pitched better than those He's numbers well. indicate. The seven-run game against the Mets was his worst outing of the year, but, you know, four earned runs over five and two-third against Toronto. Eight strikeouts, they lose 6-3. Four earned runs over, you know, seven innings at Baltimore, you know, seven strikeouts, they lose 4-3. The song remains the same as you go down the line. It's just he's pitched better than what his numbers indicate. He has, he has. But the thing is, you always you hear it all the time. Has he pitched well enough for his team to stay in it and win? And even he says he hasn't. Not in every case. I would say three of the six starts, yes. Three of the six starts, no. Because a couple of those, he gave up all those runs early. So you know, no. There was a four-run second inning. Uh, early on in the season, I think that was against the Blue Jays, um, and they were just. And then he settled down after that. He didn't give up another run, but the damage right. is already done. Right. You know, he, he gets into these jams, and when you have that ninety-five to ninety-seven mile an hour fastball, you could wiggle out of them mm-hmm. with some movement. He doesn't have that anymore. Uh, his slider's been unbelievably good. Yep. Um, but the ch- you know, he, he used to live on that fastball changeup, and now that you're pitching 89, 90 miles an hour, yeah. changeup just isn't the same. It's, again, the opposite of Ovaldi, who's now 3-0 and with a 4-ish ERA. But that's, that's, that's the great point yeah. you bring up. He's got a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, but it's, it's location and it's his secondary pitches that are the issue with him, where CC now, he's got those pitches, but when you're living with that 88, 90-mile-an-hour fastball, it's got to be better. Yeah. It's just got to be better. I was at that Met game Sunday night that Evaldi started, and I'll tell you, they were squaring up those 97, 98 mile an hour fastballs. They were destroying them. And I asked him after the game what it was, and he's location. And I asked Brian McCann before the game, I said, he's got above average stuff. And he just looked at me and he stared and he said, no, he's got above, above average stuff. I said, what is it, location? And he just gave me a nod. So. He's got plus pitch. Yeah. It's a plus plus pitch. If he's got a, you know, if there's a harness somewhere in Evaldi, and I'm thinking that's what Brian Cashman um, wanted to find in him to have Larry Rothschild harness what he has, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yep. I mean, he could be a, a, a rotation. He could be in this rotation for, what is he, 24, 25? 25, I believe, returns 25 this year. Yeah, yeah he, he could be in the rotation for a long time to come. So the bullpen's been outstanding. The starters, as Lou just mentioned, he went through everything. They've been serviceable, if not better. And the Yankees have been getting some hits when they need them. Ellsbury's on fire. Him and Gardner at the top of that lineup are probably the best he, one-two punch He needed one pitch to extend his hitting streak to 10 games yesterday, Ellsbury. One pitch. First pitch he saw. Chris Tillman... Kicks, fires, throws a pitch, boom, it's in center field. Ellsbury's got a 10-game hit. <laughs> and then his second at-bat was a 10-pitch at-bat that he ended with another hit. It's got to look It's got like a beach ball to him right now. Seriously. The, the first hit gave him a five, a, exactly 500 average over his hitting. He was 19 for 39 in the first nine games. 
I believe he was two for four yesterday, so he's right around 500. But the first hit gave him dead 500, and the second one pushed him above 500 during his 10 game. I mean, that's he's not just he's not just one for four in it every night out there. He's two and three for four in it. You know, interesting too, because Gardner is over 300 as well, and you look at that and you remember when Ellsbury was a Red Sox. Gardner's a Yankee. I think they kind of pushed each other from afar because they're kind of the same player. Yep. Now that they're on the same team, I think they push each other even more now than they did when they were opposite teams because neither one of these guys wants to be the one to drop the ball at the top of the lineup. Right. It's the hand it off to the next guy philosophy. Right. Ellsbury's leading off. And I think a lot of it had to do with Ellsbury hitting third last year, too. He just doesn't seem comfortable there. Now he's leading off. He can play his game. He can steal bases. Gardner's got enough power where he can drive one into the gap, and it's, you know, single stolen base, single into the gap, one nothing. You know, they can do that a lot. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, and I should have written it down because I had it in my head earlier and I've forgotten over the course of the hour, but the top four in the lineup yesterday was something like eight for 13 with a sack fly and two walks, and they accounted for all eight runs in theory, four RBIs, four runs scored, and that's, you know, Gardner, Ellsbury, Gardner, A-Rod, and Tex. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, the rest of the, the bottom five in the lineup was two for 17. I mean, they weren't they – didn't, they did next to nothing. Steven Drew's double was the highlight of that, that entire bottom of the, of the order last night. But those four guys carried it. And, you know, I, I just – I was tallying up some numbers as you were talking about the rotation. For all the ballyhoo about the rotation and could it stay healthy and could they do this and they've used six starters already and this and that. The combination of Pineda, Warren, Tanaka, Whitley, and Ovaldi is 12-2. and two. So to get the win, the Yankees offense has to help them out, but they also have to pitch well enough to keep the team in the game. The Yankees are 18-11 and 11 and those five guys are 12-2. and two. Sabathia is 0-5. The bullpen is 6-3 and three, with two of their losses being extra inning Chasing Shreve taking one for the team and you know and getting beat. Right. So you take out Sabathia, you take out Shreve in two extra inning games, and the pitching staff is eighteen and three. I mean, but again, insane. Well, but you have to look. You have to scratch beneath the surface of the zero and five of CC Sabathia. Right. Some run support here, some run support there. Maybe he's two and three. You know, you don't want to go too nuts. That's why but. you don't – but that's, again, that's why I say you don't necessarily right. look at wins as the be-all. That's why Felix Hernandez, I think it was, won the Cy Young Award with 14 wins mm-hmm. a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be shocked if CC Sabathia could, you know, turn this around and be 500 for the season, maybe a game over 500 by the time all is said and done. I'm not saying his ERA is going to be under five. No. But, you know, if he starts getting some runs scored for him, you know, he he's kind of like filling the void of Corota, where Corota would get go out yeah. there and pitch gems and not get any run support. Yeah, not but, that he's pitching gems. I don't want to say. And that. And when he pitched terribly, he still went six, six and a third, seven innings and right. kept the bullpen. Well, he's doing that now. Yeah. No, I'm talking about. Oh, Corota. Yeah, yeah. Cece's always done. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Cece's always been a horse. And that's and- that's the one reason. You know, it, there's more than one reason, but that is the biggest reason why I, I will never be able to sit here in, under any circumstance and. And, and and not speak glowingly of the guy. He goes out right. there, he does his job. It, it might not be, you know, what Yankee fans expect, but he goes out there and he battles. He battles. And I, don't, I know fans don't want to hear battle. 
especially with... Because if you don't win the battle, it doesn't matter. Right, if you don't win, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, you have a lot of... You have professional athletes who pretty much could roll with it and it's not going to bother them. I can tell you, it bothers him. It does. He doesn't walk off the mound after giving up four or five and six and a third, seven innings, you know, skipping into the shower like he did his job. He's upset. Yeah. He wears it on his on his chest, on his shoulder, everywhere. So don't think for a second CeCe Sabathia isn't a competitor and doesn't want to win. He does. And this right now is killing him. Yeah. Which is the reason why I think he'll put it together, and by the end of the year, Yankee fans aren't going to have a bad thing to say about him. And here's, here's the thing about that I'll, that I'll wrap up the CC thought with, and then I'll, I'll make a funny at the expense of Carl Pavano. Okay. Um, <laughs> Which, who I'm looking up, something, I, I again, I should have written down that I looked at yesterday. CeCe Sabathia is what he is right now. Chris Capuano made a second rehab start at AAA. And Ivan Nova had last night. 28 pitches. Through 28 pitches in extended spring. Capuano made a second rehab start. Capuano could be back May 17th, May 22nd. Like, one of those two days he could be back. If they want a third rehab start comes next week in Norfolk. If they want one more after that, they'll do it. If not, he might be back. Nova's probably, again, on track for maybe June 1, June 15. And that's the date we've given. Call me on June 15th. Tell me how everything's doing. Let's say between now and June 15th, CC makes six more starts, seven more starts, and he's 2-8 and eight with a five-ish ERA. Capuano's coming back, and Nova's on his way back, and Tanaka's back. DL. Give his knee a little time. Does he become a lefty? Like you're a lefty in the bullpen. A specialist. Ooh. I mean, he's going to be an expensive bullpen piece. But yeah, you know, Brian Cashman know. was asked yesterday about Capuano. You know, we talked to him on the field. He was asked about Capuano. Is he going to be a starter? He's like, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. He's like, when I signed him, I signed him to be a starter. But we'll figure it out when we get there. Which seems to intimate to me that it doesn't matter who it is or what they're signed for or even what they're making. The best five pitchers. Six because you know he's going to use a spot starter now and again. Yeah. Are going to be the guys who get that ball every fifth and sixth, sixth day. day, and the guys who aren't. I mean, Carlos Beltran, same thing. Is hitting one eighty five at this point. You know, there's guys underneath. It's 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 now a month into the season, and you're looking to see. And another month from now, it's, it's going to be some hard. You know. Aaron Judge isn't coming up, though. No, not don't, Aaron Judge. He's still a year away. And don't Greg get your Burton, hopes up. It'll be Tyler Austin or Ramon Flores or, or Slade Heathcott who's raking yeah. at AAA. But just there's going to be some hard decisions, you know? That's just the way it is. Here's the funny I was going to make about Carl okay. Pavano. If you look at Nathan Ovaldi, uh-huh. he does resemble a young Carl Pavano. A little if bit. If you look at him. A little bit. So me and uh, myself and Larry Fleischer, our good friend of the uh-huh. program, we're, we're jocularly discussing Pavano yesterday. And we wondered how – Exactly what he gave the Yankees, and I looked at him. He was nine and eight. Carl Pavano was nine and eight in, I believe, twenty five starts in four years as a Yankee. Twenty five. So starts. it could always be worse. Twenty five starts over four years. Four years. You're supposed to make thirty three, thirty two, thirty three, thirty four. Even even a with year? a even with a mild injury, most upper tier 30? rotation starters make twenty six to. 30. Okay, 26 to 30, and he made 25 over four years. Four years. Might have been 28. I don't remember the exact number, but he was 9 and 8 in four years with the Yankees. He did date Alyssa Milano. He did. And we feel for Carl. His his career, the injuries, and everything he's endured after 
his career. You know, the freak injuries he's endured. It's kind of a – it's well, not funny at this point. No. For anyone who thinks it is. No. No. But it's just funny. It is funny to us that Nathan Avaldi, like, you look at him, he's like, wow, he looks a lot like Carl Pavano. Mm-hmm. And he went to the same high school as Nolan Ryan. That's a hell of a pedigree. Yeah. I think they're the only two to Alvin come out high of school, yeah. yeah. Alvin High School in Alvin, Texas. Alvin! Oh, boy. Hello, Wow. I did not know my co-host can do a great chipmunk impression. Hello, Dove. No, I heard. No, you didn't know? You didn't I, uh, <laughs> I think that's a good place to end. We've, yeah, we've hit the magic hour for the most part. <laughs> We're a little short, but like I said, we had another some more stuff lined up. Uh, we just one were unfortunately more, able to. One more thing go. before I wrap it up. Uh, the New York Rangers play uh, uh, with their backs against the wall tonight, down 3-1 in a game five. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won't tape the, another one of these till next Thursday. And uh, game seven, if there is one, is Tuesday. So I'm hoping... On Thursday or Friday when we tape this again, I am talking about the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. But let me just say this. To the Ranger fans who want Henrik Lundqvist out of the net, (laughs) I said it on Twitter. Yes, you did. I just want to say it to you here. Stop. And you're lucky I'm keeping my voice down. Um, Just stop. You're you're idiotic. You're moronic. I can't think of any other ways to describe you. Uh, You want to sit there and say he's given up some soft goals. The Rangers have lost two to one. And by the way, on that game one loss when they lost two to one, Dan Boyle was cross-checked or roughed, nothing called, and the Caps go on to... Score the game. Change the tone of the series, just like Girardi's mistake did in Game One of the Stanley Cup Finals. Two one, Rangers win three two, and then two one, one nothing, two one. It is not Henrik Lundqvist. Can Cam Talbot play wing? Can he play center? Because if he could score, the Rangers could use him. It incenses me to no end. Henrik Lundqvist is one of the best goalies, not in the league, on the planet, on the blue marble that is constantly spinning. He's one. And look, Braden Holpe playing, you know, standing on his head, playing great. He is not Dominic Hasek. He's not Henrik Lundqvist. Sooner or later, and hopefully it's got to be sooner now, he's going to give up a cheapie. And the Rangers are going to smell blood. And you know what? As I told Lance Becker, our good buddy downstairs, Ranger fans who are all over Facebook saying it's over, they're done. Why do you watch? Why do you watch? Why do you suffer all season with them to just give up when they're down 3-1? If, if you guys were, you know, leading the Revolutionary Army, what do you call a... English flag? The English flag. <laughs> no, there's a name for it. I can't remember. The Union Jack? The Union Jack. That would still be flying over the country. If you were an Animal well, House. We lost, we lost a battle. <laughs> now nah, we're good. We surrender. If you were Animal House, it would be over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor. Yes, it would have been. <laughs> 
Somebody made that joke on Twitter today that everything with that is like it's going to be the day where people correct you when you make that reference. Yeah, Matt Zuccarello is missed much more than they than anyone. He can is, say. but that's not. You can't and just pin it all on Matt Zuccarello. Do you know what the Rangers' goal differential is in the playoffs? Zero. Every game has been a one goal game, yeah. and they have an even record in the playoffs. I think it's eleven straight now, dating back to the Stanley yeah. Cup Finals. 11 straight one-goal games in the playoffs. You know, Elaine Vigneault said they're playing right, they're playing well, and uh, Lance brought up a great point. You know, the, the, the Caps are clutching, they're grabbing, they're holding all over the ice, they're, they're forcing the Rangers, they're committing penalties that aren't being called, that are called during the regular season, but they're not being called in the playoffs, and I know that sounds like I'm whining, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And the other goal the other night, the first goal the Caps scored to tie it up at one. Derek Stepan gets hooked down to the ice. Nothing's called, and they tie it. I'm sitting there waiting for a whistle, and there's no whistle. I, I don't know. I the mean, officiating has been a little sketchy in situations. There's something situations. fishy with the officiating, different spelling. But uh, unless you're Barry Melrose, in which case it's been Barry Trotz changing the culture of the team. That's yeah, his, that's he's it's okay. his line he's sticking to. It. Yeah, all right. Hey, look, you want to talk about goaltenders standing on their head, you can go the opposite direction and look at Carey Price, who's probably going to win the Vezina, was one one more bad period away from being swept out in the second round. I know. So that, you know, as a... He's been outplayed by Ben Bishop. I know. I thought <laughs> Who that, got pulled last night, but yes. I thought the Canadians would, would win that series going away. Yeah. I mean, not quick, not a sweep, but I figured they'd beat four, the Lightning. 4-2. Four, yeah. 4-1, yeah, 4-2. Yeah, now it's going to have to be 4-3. With Game 7 in Centre Belle. Listen, I would love, love nothing more than have a Game 7 at the Garden. And the Rangers were the best road team in the league. So win Game 5 tonight. Best road team in the league. Go down to Washington. Steal one down there in D.C. And then hold serve at home again. And come back home. And Henrik Lundqvist has never lost a Game 7. And if they don't, I'll be rooting for the Tampa Bay Lightning. For well, the sole reason that, you know, what, I'd, like South. To, I'd like to see Captain Callahan... Succeed. Well, you got Strawman, you got Callahan, you yep. got Boyle. Yep. I saw, unfortunately, Michael Rosaval, another uh, ex Ranger, got hurt last night when the Blackhawks Black swept Hawks, the Wild. Yeah. Not quite sure what happened to him, but he looks like he might miss the rest of the. Uh, That's terrible. The like John Wall with the fractures in his yeah. hand in the NBA. You don't. You don't like to see that. But Kevin I, Love. <laughs> but I would be rooting for for Captain Callahan and his crew down there if they uh, if they do well. All right. That's it. Thanks for listening. The magic hour. Yeah, has come to a close. Thanks Par- for watching a Periscope, yeah, too. Yeah, Periscope, too, if you watch a little bit. We'll do more of that. Uh, and we, we tried to get someone from the NFL, as Lou said, uh, to talk uh, about the draft. Fortunately, our coordination just didn't sync up. The so. gate. yeah. Yep. Uh, maybe we'll try for him next week. Um, but that's why we went off the air abruptly. We were going to call him and try to patch this together. But next week, we'll try to... Uh, periscope the entire episode so uh, make sure you follow us or click on it i'll we'll we'll put the word out there on twitter we're we're kind of figuring out how this thing works we haven't yep. done it yet so once we figure that out we'll we'll get better at it and you guys could watch us as we do this live i think that's pretty cool it is pretty cool in our green screen room yep all right that's gonna be it let's go rangers let's go yankees Here's the music let's go nick i mean that's <laughs> Let's go New York sports and or college days. Yeah, there you go. All right. For Lou DiPietro, at Lou DiPietro, yes. I'm Chris Sheeran, at Chris Sheeran, yes. We'll see you next time on the Chris Sheeran Show here on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. Later.